So there's a few ways that we can look at this, uh, this little sermon here. One is that uh, Kurt stole my notes. The second is I was lazy, and while Kurt was up here, I wrote my notes. <laughs> um, the third is that uh, God wants you guys to hear something. And the fourth is he's got a sense of humor. Probably it's something of all of those. Um, today is Memorial Day weekend. I should say tomorrow's whatever. Anyway, um, we, we take some time to honor the people that fought for this country. Um, the people that fought for freedom, for the ideals that we, we love to live for. Although, if we're honest, sometimes we don't actually fully live them, but you have the availability to choose to do so, right? And uh, that's a huge blessing, and it's a huge thing for us to honor those people. Um, a lot of times we also call it Decoration Day, because it's a, it's a day that we decorate a lot of graves of the men that died for this country. And there was a sacrifice, and there was a lot of people that put their life on the line um, for us to have that choice. And that's a, that's a big thing. So I don't want to... Uh, gloss over that, but this is uh, a weekend where we do that. One of the best ways to honor them is to enjoy the weekend, right? Just to actually enjoy family, enjoy friends, enjoy grilling. How many of you guys like to grill? I feel like in America, that's what this weekend often represents is grilling day. Like, people set plans to grill and hang out and have fun and eat meat, which I'm completely down with. I like that. So, um, yeah. Like Kurt also said, today is the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, when we think of Pentecost um, today in the Christian church, we usually think of the Acts Pentecost, right, after Jesus. But way before then, they actually observed Pentecost um, going all the way back to Moses. Now, because Kurt took all my notes, I'm actually going to jump a little further back. So I'm going to talk about Abraham real quick. Um, Abraham, I'm assuming a lot of you guys know about Abraham. If you've got questions about him, come and find me later. But Abraham, a lot of times we call him the father of faith. And uh, his name means exalted father. Well, Abram means exalted father. God changed his name to Abraham, which is father of multitudes, which is a pretty sweet blessing. In that, God promises him, hey, I am going to bless Abraham everyone on earth through you, through your seed. And he tells them, hey, look at the stars. Can you count how many stars? Look at the grains of sand. Can you count them? Your descendants are going to be greater than these. Isn't that a sweet blessing? And he's telling this to a guy who's well in age, well past the time of, of having children. And that's a hard thing for him to be. He's like, yeah, we've been, we've been trying. We've been trying, you know, like, for decades. Like, I hope this happens, you know. Anyways, he has a son. His, uh, his first son is Ishmael. And this is an interesting place because he, he's got, uh, well, anyway, I'm not going to get into the whole history. But he has a son where he tries to do it on his own strength. And he doesn't have a son with his wife, right? has it with the, the maidservant. And the son is named Ishmael. And... The interesting thing about Ishmael is it says that he will be a wild donkey of a man. He'll pit his strength against his brother, right? Now, Ishmael um, is his firstborn son, 
but it's not the child of promise. Now, how many of you guys know that there's a lot of times where we will believe that God has said something to us, that he has promised something to us, and the very next thing we do is we try to do it on our own strength? Yeah? That's what Ishmael represents. He did it on his own strength. And what he had is a son that resembled strength, and that he would pit his strength against his brothers. Thirteen years later, God gives him another son through his wife, Sarah's, Sarah's firstborn. His name is Isaac, the son of promise. God had the last laugh, which is actually what Isaac means, is he laughs, which is kind of cool. Um, he has this son named Isaac, all right? So he's got Ishmael and Isaac, the son of his strength and the son of God's promise. Now, both of these things later on in the New Testament, he used these, these two to represent the two covenants, one of the old covenant and one of the new covenant, one that is built on strength, built on um, the boundaries, the structure, the rules, doing it on your strength. In unfortunate circumstances, we can't do it all on our own strength. I don't know if you guys have realized, but we all fall short. At least I do all the time. So you have that. Then you have the new one, which is a child of promise, which becomes Jesus in the new covenant, where Jesus does what we can't do. Um, going back to Abraham, God does something really cool with him. He does, um, he makes a covenant with him. Now, this is an interesting covenant because God has uh, Abraham go and set everything up. He's got, you know, the, the cows and everything else. He splits them up and they put them in between and they have to walk through them. Um, and kind of the thing of that day is with a covenant is if I break it or you break it, whatever like, if you break it, whatever has been done to these animals may be done to your descendants, to you. And if I break it, may you do that to me. So it was a pretty serious covenant. However, Abraham never went through that covenant, which is kind of cool. He prepared it, but God went through it with himself. Because instead of God making covenant with a man who couldn't keep it, he decided to make it with himself who couldn't break it. Think about that for a second. Abraham could never break that promise. He could never make that, break that covenant because he never made it. Now, you flash forward to um, the time in Exodus where you've got uh, Moses taking the people out. You know what I'm talking about? And you've got Passover where you basically um, Pharaoh in Egypt had uh, been just been a harsh, harsh ruler to the Israelites. And in getting them out, God sent a bunch of plagues. He sent Moses to, to bring the people out. After a bunch of plagues, one of them was the Passover, right? The Passover was actually for anybody in the country, which is really cool. It wasn't just for the Israelites or the Egyptians. It was also for the, the passerbys, the people that are in the country, everybody. And it went like this. You make the sacrifice of an unblemished um, cow, sheep, sheep? Sheep. Thank you. Uh, sheep. And you would sprinkle the blood on the, the doorposts. And then they had a bunch of things that you had to do as far as eating the sheep before dawn and yada, yada, yada. Anyways, an angel would come through and any door that had the blood sprinkled on it, he would pass over that door. Anyone that didn't, they would lose their firstborn. Which is, that, that's hard. I love the fact that God said, hey, Pharaoh, if you do it, you're going to spare your own firstborn son. You know, there was an availability for everybody even there. 
Well, the Passover happened. Um, there was a lot of mourning, a lot of grieving, a lot of death because a lot of firstborns died that night. Um, but what that triggered was Pharaoh letting the people go. And they left, and 50 days later um, is when they have what they would call Pentecost. And Pentecost to, to Jews is the celebration of the giving of the Torah, the giving of uh, the Ten Commandments, the giving of all that stuff. And so they celebrate the giving of it. Now, the cool thing is they make a point to say that it's not the receiving of it, but the giving of it. Because they say, hey, the receiving happens all the time. You can receive all the time. It's not a specific date, specific time, specific season. It's you can receive any time. But there was one time that was given, and we honor that one time that it was given. And so that's when they do it, is 50 days later. They also call this the, the Feast of Weeks, because um, you've got seven weeks. It starts the day after um, the Passover, and you have seven weeks, and that seven weeks there's a fullness um, where every seventh day you have a Shabbat, a rest day. And then the seventh seven, just kind of like their years of Jubilee and stuff, I'll talk about that in a second. Anyways, their seventh seven, they had a day of rest, and that was this, uh, this Feast of Weeks, or... Um, Let's call it Festival of Weeks, Shabbat, I don't know, they had called something else too, uh, the time of refreshing, um, Feast of the First Fruits, that's the other thing it was, Feast of the First Fruits, and this is when they have their very first harvest, and in particular it is barley, I got it somewhere in here, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, dates, and olives, so Anyways, this is their first fruits, and it's really kind of cool because what they do is they take the first harvest of all these things, and then I guess what they would do is they would put these things in, in these baskets. They would, they would actually weave gold and silver into their baskets, and then they would make these flower decorations and put them on their cattle, and they would go and they would like, make a procession through the towns all the way back up to Jerusalem. So every year, and it was required for every adult man to go, and most of them took their families. So they would come up, just like at Passover, everybody comes up to Jerusalem, right? Everybody would come up again for this big feast. During this time, another thing that they would do is, is the, um, the high priest would make two loaves of leavened bread. It's interesting that it's leavened because this is the only one of their feasts that has to do with leavened bread. Everything else is unleavened bread. Every other one... But part of why they use leavened bread right here is because they're using the wheat from the first harvest as a, as a thanksgiving, as a feast, as an encouragement, as an um, honoring of God that he's provided another season of harvest. Um, so anyways, they're counting down 49 days, well, 50 days, right? Um, but the 49 from the day after to get to this Pentecost day, this day of celebration, um, excitement, everybody goes up, there's a day of rest, there's no work done, they go up there um, the night before, all the men usually get together either with each other or with their families, and they rehearse the Torah, they study the Torah, they rehearse the Torah, they encourage each other. Like it, when you think of Passover, uh, a lot of times we, we say, do this in remembrance of me. The word remembrance is a twofold meaning. In Hebrew, it means to remember the faithfulness that has happened before, but also it means practice for the faithfulness that's coming. So it's a both looking behind and a looking forward saying, 
listen, we're going to remember what God has done. We're going to look at his promises, and we're going to see how his promises from then match up with my day today, my future tomorrow, okay? And so you have this Pentecost day where everybody has got their mind on the promises of God, his faithfulness of the past, his faithfulness that's going to come. Um, The giving of the law, I don't have any PowerPoint slides for you guys. I uh, realized yesterday that I don't have PowerPoint on my computer. Who doesn't have PowerPoint on their computer? This guy, yeah, we, I mean, that's quite appropriate. <laughs> anyway, it's funny because, I don't know, I just assumed I did until I went to make a PowerPoint slide, and I was like, well, whatever. Um, I'm going to throw out some verses today. You guys can do it the old school way of looking in your own Bible or making notes and checking it later. Or two, you can do the old, old school way and just listen. Um, Exodus 34, I'm going to read real quick. Um, I'm just going to just touch on quick. It's uh, the covenant renewed, uh, 34 verse 10. And he said, Behold, I'm making a covenant before all people. I will do marvels such as not have uh, been created in the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom uh, you are... Wow, this is smaller than I remembered. Maybe I need to get my eyes checked. I shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with both of you. Uh, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive you out before the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Hizzites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. Uh, for you shall worship no other god for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Um, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they go... Anyways, so they keep going. So he's talking about establishing this covenant with them. Like even if you go back to Exodus, I think it's 19, where the Ten Commandments are there. And God says, hey, here's the things I want you to live by. Um, the people initially said, you, you scare us. And they said, Moses, here's the second plan. How about you listen to God, and then we'll listen to you? And at that point, you've got this division where God gives um, written, in, instead of just verbally talking with a lot of them, um, and there's, there's this intermediary, there's a person in the middle, which is Moses. Now, when I used to look at the Old Covenant, I, I used to be bummed. I used to think, wow, this is so restrictive. This is so, oh, uh, like how do they not realize that they're not free, you know? Like there's, you got to do this and you got to do this. And if you got to have, you know, this thing wrong, you have to make this sacrifice with this dove, but you have to cut it this way and you have to put these spices on within 12 minutes and da da da, da And oven leavened bread, you have to have it literally from the start to in the oven in like 18 minutes or else you got to start over and you have to clean the house twice before you even, tr- you know, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, you, even in Jesus' time, you got the guys that are, are tithing the dill and the mint leaves. They're, they're counting the leaves on their, their plants and on their, their trees. They're, they're giving a tenth of everything, and you're like, wow, this is time-consuming. You know, this is, this is crazy how strict every little piece is. However, I, I fail to see the goodness of the Old Covenant for a long, long time. It was uh, a couple years ago when I started realizing 
Up until that point in time in history, there was never, ever, ever a country that had anything that would free the slaves, that would restore property, that would restore inheritance. There was nothing that would make into law making sure you take care of the people coming through the land. To take care of the widows and the orphans. This was a very progressive law. Everything that was in there of like, hey, don't eat these kind of animals, don't do this. If you look at that stuff today, that is some healthy, healthy information. Like there's reasons why God said, hey, don't do this and don't do this, you know, but do this. It's because everything that he was saying if you followed it, it would actually promote life. It would actually promote goodness in your body, health in your systems. It would actually free people. I mean, how many people do we have in this room that have a serious amount of debt? I don't want to see hands, but there's probably a lot, right? This culture is in debt. You know, if you've gone to university, you probably have debt, you know? If you own a house, you probably have some debt, right? There's a lot of debt. Like, how cool would it be if you knew that every 49 years, Everything would be wiped clean. You'd start over. And if you own property, if your family in the past owned property, you could have it back. Isn't that awesome? Like, think about that. You actually owned all that stuff. There was such goodness that was in the old covenant, and we forget it sometimes. At least I forget it. I always think of it like, oh, man, I'm glad I don't live under that. But at that time, it was such a blessing, which is not a surprise that they celebrate it as saying, hey, God has given us this thing. Because they looked at Passover with uh, Moses as when he left, there was the physical freedom, but they saw the Torah as the spiritual freedom. Now, fast forward uh, to Jesus' day. You've got the Passover, right? And uh, on the day of Passover, that's when, when Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, Right? He dies for our sins, and uh, on that night, there's a, there's a crazy big earthquake. How many of you guys have been in an earthquake before? So a handful of you. Um, yeah, earthquakes aren't so common up here. Uh, I mean, I know there was one just recently in Kalamazoo. Other than that, I can't think of the last time there was one in Michigan. Does anybody have any idea? Okay, a few years ago in Stevenson. Yeah, they're not common, though, in, in Michigan, right? Um, I was in Haiti right after the earthquake uh, a handful of years ago. I wasn't there for the original one, but I was there for the aftershocks. The aftershocks were near 7.0 for months. Like even five months out, it was crazy. You would still have like a 6.7, you know, and you're like, everything would shake. And the thing, I was so exhausted, and I was in, I was in a couple buildings where it was just concrete, I was upstairs, and I remember thinking to myself, whew, I don't know if I want to get outside. I'm so tired. You're so exhausted. You're not sleeping well. It is hot. It is loud. It is uh, everything. And you're just like, I need to get out of this house because I, I see what happens to it, you know? And so you're debating this thing, and you're like, oh, but it, maybe it's going to be over in a second. But these things last a while. It's not like two seconds, and it's done. Like, I would have had time to get out of the house, and I got out of the house a lot of times. What struck me, though, was the sound of the earthquake. And I'm not talking about just the physical sound of, of the shaking. It was a sound of this, this, this hush to a moaning, to a roar almost within the city. 
because instantly, every aftershock, it took them back to the first earthquake. It took them back to the destruction. It took them back to grieving for the family, the friends, the people that they had lost. You know, the lives that were lost. Now, there was a lot of things to grieve, but there's also a lot of good things that happened in Haiti, too. Literally, in a second, they could, like, I'm not saying that it's good that their government died, so please take that into context. But in a second, literally, the government was wiped out. I walked through where their IRS buildings were, where I could pick out Joe Schmo's piece of paper and see every kind of file they had before they took it in a dumpster and dropped it in the ocean, right? The Justice Department, gone. Literally, everything was wiped clean. Every debt was wiped clean. They didn't even know who was alive and who was dead, so the complete reset. Now, that's probably not the way I would design a reset as far as a jubilee, you know? But there was a lot of good that happened out of it. In fact, it's crazy because they had, uh, I don't know if you know the history of it, but they had a 200-year pact evidently with Satan. Uh, there was a guy, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, um, but he made a pact in front of the congregation of slaves, and he said, listen, Satan, if you get us free on this next attempt, we will serve you for 200 years. And so he made this pact, everything, put it on a tree, yada, yada. Um, long story short, they, they got free and then went into slavery, you know, a different kind of slavery uh, with Satan. And it's, it's crazy because they went from being France's most... Um, lush territory. Uh, they got the most produce out of Haiti. It was just vibrant land at the start of those 200 years. At the very end, literally I was there, it was, it was just thorns and thistles. It was nothing. It was so barren. Well, I, when I was down there, it was interesting because uh, instead of having their, um, oh, what's it called? During what we call Mardi Gras, they've got a, a big old festival. It takes a week long. Down there, they normally will have uh, a lot of um, just satanic worship. A lot of children will go missing, especially from orphans, orphanages. Um, we'll do child sacrifices. It's crazy. I'd been there the year before during that time, and it was probably the time in my life where I was like, it is not safe for me to be out, even with my boys. They went from that, and they declared a time, a three days of of prayer and fasting. And I thought it was going to be a very sullen, somber event. Instead, the entire country got together and they partied. And when I mean partied, I mean partied for God because they said, it's done. It's done. This pact is done. Because literally it was to the year when everything was done. And it was like a week later that the earthquake happened and everything got shaken up. And you had, I remember even now, like you, you'd walk and you'd have these just buildings that were crumbled on the ground and what would be spray painted on them, which still just rips me is, is Satan, get out of our country. Jesus, you're the only way, you know? And it would be in like three different languages. You had people that hadn't eaten, had lost family, had everything. And they would sit there for 12 hours at a time and just say, I need to know Jesus. I need to know scripture. You had pastors that would come to me and be like, hey, yesterday I had an assembly of 50, and now I've got 5,000, what do I do? That's a pretty good problem. 
That's the best that I know as far as a point of reference to know what it's like to have revival, to know what it's like for Pentecost to actually come down on a place. You know, where the Holy Spirit was just let loose and people embraced them and said, I got nothing else going on. I don't even have a house, so bring it on. I want more. You know, incredible, incredible, incredible. The reason why I bring up the earthquake is you've got 50 days from when Jesus died to when Pentecost happened. My assumption is there was plenty of aftershocks. I mean, we know that there's an aftershock three days later when Jesus rose from the tomb, right? Well, that's documented. Now, I'm sure there were other ones. Um, every time, it would bring them back to the Passover night. Now, I also lived in, in Dakar, Senegal for a little while. And in Dakar, Senegal, it's 99.8% Muslim, but they still do a lot of the animal sacrifices. And I remember for, for weeks on end coming up to, uh, I don't remember the name of theirs, but anyways, they, they would just herd sheep in. And this was like a city the size of Chicago, right? So think of Chicago with sheep everywhere, like in every building, in every street, ev- everywhere. Because every shepherd knew, hey, if I want to make money, I'm going to bring my sheep to this place because people are going to buy them, you know? And so they would bring all the sheep, all the goats all in, and it was crazy because it was loud, and then all of a sudden, one night you wake up, and it's quiet. It is the weirdest thing ever, where you got like four million people all sacrificing a sheep on the same day, like the decibel level in the country just, anyway, it's, it's weird. Um, this is a time where they would be bringing their sacrifices back up to Jerusalem. The entire 50 days, they're having some aftershocks where they're remembering Jesus' Passover. When they go back up there, what are they doing at Pentecost? They're going to read the Torah, to remember God's faithfulness, to think about what he's going to do today and in the future. So their minds are already set on biblical things. It's not like, hey, we're just going to go party. It's an entire country celebration, and they come together, and when they come together in Jerusalem, Still, probably for a lot of them, the last place where, you know, last time that they were there was a pretty marked event, right? With Jesus dying on the cross. Pretty unique things happening. People coming out of their graves, which is another story. It's nutso. Um, And bam, God strikes again. You know, for a lot of these people, it's back-to-back times in Jerusalem, and stuff is going down, right? You see it in Acts 2, um, where... In Acts 2, you've got the Holy Spirit that comes on these people, and it says that everybody heard in their own tongue as they're declaring the gospel, right? So think about this. You go to a place, I mean, up here it's not as cultured, so everybody hears English, but uh, I don't know. You go to some big old city where everybody is there, right? And all of a sudden you hear a group of people all start, like, getting jacked. There's, like, fire on their head, and they're saying stuff, and everybody hears it in their own language. And then from there, it spreads like wildfire, right? Um, pretty incredible stuff where everybody is hearing the word of the Lord in really impactful ways. My dad likes to think that this is a gift of hearing more than it is a gift of tongues because everybody heard it in their own language. I don't know. I think it's just cool. Um, yeah. If you guys, uh, hold on, going back, you guys can take a little note if you want. Um, where it talks a little bit about the, the 50 days and the preparation, the Feast of Weeks and stuff, look at Leviticus 23, 
in particular 15 through 21. Um, also Deuteronomy 16, 9, and 10. If you need these notes later, let me know. Um, Jeremiah 31, 31. Put that down too. That's a really cool um, little section. In fact, Jeremiah 31, 31 is probably the best place I can find that talks about the new covenant that's coming. And that's where he says, um, well, a bunch of things. But one of the things he says is, uh, there's this coming covenant not like the old one. He says, I will put uh, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. No longer shall a man teach his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Ah, cool. He's putting his spirit on all flesh. No more shall a man have to teach his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least until the greatest. Like, at this point, it's like God saying, hey, I'm going to give my spirit, and my spirit's going to go and reach all nations. Like, my spirit is going to go out and reach all nations. A lot of times when I go overseas, my job is not to convert people. My job is not to convince them of a God. I believe that Holy Spirit is revealing himself to them whether I'm there or not. Like in the 1040 window, the most effective disciple, well, not disciple, well, whatever, the most effective way to reach a lot of uh, the people that just don't know about Jesus, never heard Jesus, is Holy Spirit. He's showing up in dreams, in visions, physically doing miracles in people's lives that have no idea who he is. Think about that for a second. Isn't that crazy? Like he asked us to go into all nations, the end of the earth, to make disciples. Now, one cool thing is there's a difference between making a convert or making somebody known than making a disciple, right? Discipleship has a lot more to do with life on life. You know, you're, you're investing in them. It's saying, hey, listen, that thing that you've been hearing, the thing that you've been seeing, that question that you've been having, here's the answer. This is the person. Let me introduce you to him. Now, let me help you walk in a way that's honoring to him. Let me develop a relationship with him. You know, like, ah, it's cool. Anyway, um, I'm going to talk about that. Give me a second. I'm just going to skip some of these notes. <laughs> um, 2 Corinthians 3. Let's take a look at that real quick. 3. I'm just going to read it. Because listen, listen to these words. Um, yeah. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some of you do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not with tablets of stone, Old Covenant, but tablets on human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of letter, but of spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's oh, such a good verse. Listen to that again. Not of letter, 
but of spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? Real quick, pause. Literally, Moses is up there with God with those stones, right? He's up there for 40 days. And when he comes down, the people are afraid of him because in God's presence, his face literally is like a light bulb. Like it is shining. It is emitting a light. So much so that he would veil his face around the people because they were so afraid. Going back to how I was saying like the old covenant, there's so much goodness in it. Think about the fact that there's so much goodness in it that his face was glowing. How much more confidence should we have in a new covenant that is better, that brings life instead of death? Whew. Um, yeah, even more glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in the case which once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that has surpassed it. For it was um, what was brought into an end came with glory. Much more uh, what is permanent will have glory. Um, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome, what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's really cool. That is really cool to me. Um, you've got the Old Covenant that goes from Passover to their Pentecost, where they remember the giving of the, the Old Law. You've got the, the New, which is kind of this transition from Passover with Jesus to the Pentecost, where the Spirit is given to all flesh. Right? Spirit comes down to people. You've got us now that are ministers of this new covenant. Now, one cool little thing real quick is Matthew 13. Um, let's take a look at that real quick. Matthew 13, 31. So Matthew 13, 31, there's two little parables and like three verses. All right, he put a parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is, the, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. That's the first one. The second one is just for this verse. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. A lot of times when we think of like parables, especially with leavening and yeast and all that stuff, basically leavened and unleavened means with yeast or without yeast, okay? All of us 
I think, no, with bread, you put yeast in it and it rises and it gets mixed throughout the whole dough and yada yada, right? So it doesn't take a whole lot of yeast. It moves through the entire batch of dough. Everything rises and it's good. The unleavened stuff, you don't put any in and you have these matzah crackers, these little guys that have a lot of density to them and they don't raise. Going back to the priests, they would offer symbolically two loaves of bread that were leavened, that had yeast in them. I love that. I also love the fact that God, Jesus, right here, he decides to liken the kingdom of heaven like leavened bread, leavened dough. Because usually we think of like, Oh, leavening yeast is bad, and, you know, you stick by anybody that's got any bad, and it's going to infiltrate the whole group, or, you know, like, avoid anybody that's got that stuff, because it's just going to spread. Right? That stinks. There's a declaration in this verse. Listen to this. Just, just listen to it. Come on. 13, 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. There's a promise in this verse that the kingdom of heaven is going to start like that mustard seed. Twelve guys, right? Small, smallest of seeds. And it's going to continue to grow until literally it's in the entire batch. It's going to reach everybody. The yeast is going to contaminate everybody. And that yeast is kingdom. That yeast is hope. I don't know about you guys, but uh, you, you read the news, there's not a lot of hope out there. You know? Like, sometimes I, I read it and I have, to, I have to put it down. I have to walk away from it because it is, it is suffocating sometimes. It is paralyzing sometimes when you look at it and you see everything that's going on. And yet, this is a promise the hope is coming. It's going to multiply and it's going to touch everything. You know? Now, today is the day that um, they would call a day of refreshing. It's a day of honoring, just like Memorial Day. My encouragement to you guys is, is to do that. Uh, worship people, you can come on up. Um, I think it's a day of invitation, really. If you think about it, this is a time where you can remember God's faithfulness in the past. Some of you guys need to grieve some of the things you've lost. Some of you guys need to grieve some of the people you've lost. Some of you guys need to honor the people that have gone before you. Some of you guys need to honor your children and the people that are going to go after you. It's a day that is supposed to be a day of rest. A special day of rest because it's the 7th 7, which is sweet. You guys can read up sometime. It's a day of remembrance. Remember God's faithfulness in his life. But I think it's also a day to start over. It's a day to bring your first fruits. Today's day one, you know? I don't know where you guys have come from. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what's in your future. I don't know what God is doing. But he's setting apart some time. And I'm thankful in this culture we, we've also added memorial day to it because you got an extra day, Right? You've got some time to get refreshed. You've got some time to get reset. You've got some time to let go of things you've, you've held on to. 
you've got some time to say, hey, God, I'm here. What do you want to do? I could use some refreshing. Because I could use some refreshing. I don't know if I'm the only one here, but yeah. And the beautiful thing is we've, we've got a beautiful day. So I encourage you guys, go do it. Remember the fact that this is a time of hope that's coming and a time of goodness that's coming. And just like with Memorial Day, where people have fought for the ability for you to walk in freedom, Jesus has done the same at a crazy different dimension, right? Now, whether or not you choose to walk in that freedom, whether or not you choose to live in that hope, that's up to you. But you have to embrace it or you're going to miss out. So... I think today is an invitation to embrace that. Um, worship group is going to be up here. They're going to worship God. Uh, if you guys need prayer, you guys can come on up. If you need refreshing, soak in it. If you need rest, do whatever you need to do. But I believe he's got something good for you, and I think he wants to engage with you. And so do whatever you need to do to get refreshed.